So this summer we're doing a sermon series in July and August looking at the, um, the hymn writers and learning a little bit about them as we um, sing the different hymns every week. Um, sometimes the, the words have special meaning for us, but I think it also deepens the meaning as we know more about the, the lives of the people who wrote the hymns and maybe what kind of special meaning it might have had for that person who wrote it. Um, Last week we talked about Georgia Harkness, and uh, I was blessed to be able to study her life and to share her story with you last week. A very remarkable woman. And this week is Jim and Jean Strathy. The way that we settled on which hymn writers to choose is extremely scientific. We, we looked in the index of our hymnal and found who had a lot of hymns written. And then we, and then, uh, we picked out uh, the top ones. And so, uh, so in this month, we're kind of fe- featuring people who are Methodist. And, but what I'm finding out as I'm doing the biographies is that um, not everybody's Methodist, but everybody has strong Methodist connections. Next month, we're doing the British invasion. And uh, that will be Brian Wren and Fred Pratt Green and Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley. You know, the British Fab Four, right? And, um, and we all have fun with them, but I found out that most of them are also, three of them were Methodists, and one of them was almost like a Methodist wannabe. So, hey, um, a lot of, lot of good, strong Methodist writers in our hymnal, um, shockingly. So the, the Strathys are in our hymnal, in the red hymnal, only like one time, but they're in our supplements, the black and the green supplements, many times. And if you guys remember, how many people here remember the conference songbook, the red binder? Do you guys remember that one at all? I know we got people in the choir who do, right? But there was a, a, a songbook that our conference put out right here. Here's an example. Thank you, Vanna. And, um, and the conference songbook was published in the 70s, I'm thinking. And, um, and the Strathys are in that book a lot. And so um, um, the Strathys live in Sacramento, uh, in Carmichael. And um, this week I was like thinking, I was really in my heart. I thought, I really wish I could talk with them and, and go and just hear their story and ask them questions in person. But how is that going to work out, God? How, how would it be possible for me to, you know, be in Sacramento, you know, they're not going to drive down to Clovis. But. And then on Wednesday morning, I got an email that said, help, you know, from the chairperson of the district committee on ordained ministry. I sit on that committee and she said, help to all the rest of the committee members. I'm supposed to be at a meeting in Sacramento on Friday. I can't make it. I have a funeral. Is there somebody else who can attend? I said, well, I, maybe I could go. And she's like, great. Nobody else said, oh, let me, no, no, let me go. So, yes, I got to go. And so the meeting was from 10 to 2. And so I contacted the Strathys. And they said, well, we could meet you at 2.30. And I was like, great. And then I was able to fit in a third meeting at 3.30. So I really, really cleaned up on that trip. And um, plus, I got to pick up peaches. I don't know if anybody had peaches. out. Those are from my dad's tree. Great peaches. So a wonderful trip, wonderful trip. And I got to spend an hour talking with Jim and Jean. And... They are just wonderful people. We had such a lovely time together. So um, how many people here have ever seen the Strathys? 
seen them, seen them, seen them. Oh, hardly anybody. Okay, you know, we might want to have the Strathys come sometime because they're really fun and lovely people. Um, so Jim Strathys, he's about... I'm thinking about this tall, and he's kind of a big man, and he was looking more trim than I have ever seen him look before, and he's still kind of a big man. And uh, he was sharing with me that when he was a little boy, um, when he was born, he was born in Sacramento, but they moved out of there before he was even just a few months old, and, uh, and he, he moved around a lot with his family. His parents worked for the Salvation Army, and um, they were the hosts in the, in the facilities that work in the downtown areas, in the, in the areas of, of uh, urban blight or greatest economic hardship, they would have a, a Salvation Army post and that they would, were the hosts there. And so they would interact with the community and welcome them in. And, and they, Jim remembers wearing the uniforms and he even banged the drum. And this is, so I just have this image of kind of a little pudgy boy in a uniform banging that drum out with his parents on the street, um, um, bringing, trying to bring the people in for, uh, for the meetings and such. And uh, so they moved around with the Salvation Army quite a bit, and uh, several places in California, into Oregon, up into Montana. Uh, I think they even went into Canada a little bit. They were a lot of places. Um, and um, he was sharing a story that um, the, work of, the work that he did, working with the very marginalized people, um, trying to help them find food, um, trying to house people who found themselves homeless, um, working to get people sober who had no, um, no programs to work with that. And um, when they were in Montana, the governor, the governor of Montana came to talk with his father because at that time, um, which would have been back in the late 40s. Montana had no, no form of any kind of welfare or public assistance. They had no, no concept of how to structurally um, build in programs to help the people who are marginalized. So he actually came and spent time talking with, with Jim's dad about how, what Jim did and, and what the needs were of, the, of this um, economically dispossessed population and, and had some really wonderful conversations around that, helping, helping Montana to get a, 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 an idea for a, a basic philosophy of, of what they're trying to accomplish with their public assistance. Um, Eventually, uh, they were back in California, and um, Jim's dad had a bit of a falling out with the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army decided that Jim's dad was uh, more socially invested than they wanted him to be. They wanted him to be more, spending more time just working on um, saving souls and not so much the expanded social uh, justice and aspects. And so there was a falling out there, and Jim's dad found for himself, I welcome home in the Methodist Church. Did we hear that story last week? What an amazing gift. So he ended up being ordained into the, United Me- or the Methodist Church at the time and serving in Southern California. And so when Jim recalls that was he was about 12 years old when his dad became a Methodist pastor. And so then he grew up the rest of his um, teen years and such in the Methodist Church. Um, he went on as a young adult to become a traveling folk singer and making money off his music and writing folk songs and singing and performing folk songs and uh, um, had, uh, had a, a good and interesting um, career start there. Now, Jean, on the other hand, was born a few years after Jim. She was born in the mid-40s. 
And um, her dad was Navy. And um, so they moved around a bit with that, but um, they settled in Southern California. Her dad was Navy. She says of him that he was a physicist and a philosopher and a softy. And her mom was a public school teacher and principal and tough. Um, a good combo. And they were Methodist. So she grew up in the Methodist church, um, graduated from Red Crest High, um, went on to college and, um, in Southern California. But she had a, an amazing, near the end of her college career in 1965, she went to Mississippi to help register blacks to vote. And many of you will recall that, um, that our laws of the land said that blacks could vote, but there were laws that made it so they were not allowed to register. And if you weren't allowed to register, then you couldn't go to the polling places on election day. And so there were people who came from other states to help um, advocate and actually help blacks be able to register. And she was one of those. And, um, and she tells a, a story that's very, very life-shaping for her. Of, uh, she said that this, the experience was very scary and yet very empowering. And um, she spent her summer helping to register uh, blacks in, the, in Mississippi to vote. And at one point, she was um, trying to help some people register, and the sheriff and the sheriff's department showed up and uh, were making it difficult for them to do that. And it turned out that the sheriff's was right in front of her. And the sheriff, in the midst of this, says, you're a communist. And she said, I'm not a communist, I'm a Methodist. And he said, you can't be a Methodist, I'm a Methodist. And they both went, wow, wow. It was a moment of awakening for the sheriff as well. And I'm kind of reminded of the story of Nicodemus here. So Nicodemus, if you remember, um, was a member of the Jewish council during Jesus' lifetime. And um, he comes to Jesus, it reports in John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus and it reports in the gospel that he comes at night. And there's been a lot of speculation. Why did he go at night? Well, he might have just had a really busy day and couldn't get there earlier. Or a lot of people like to surmise that he came at night because like there's no street lights nobody could see him so he kind of sneak over there and hear what the opposition has to say right so the sheriff later on went to the local campus minister the head of the wesley foundation at their local university and said there is a woman you need to meet and sent the chaplain and the head of the wesley program with some of the students from the wesley foundation over to meet Jean. And after they talked with her, they had her come to their meeting and talk with the the college students at her meeting. And then they said, this is so amazing. Will you please stay? We have a big gathering in Kentucky. We want you to come and be one of the speakers at that. And so she had to change her plane ticket and and stayed an extra couple weeks and went to Kentucky to talk with the the college students that were gathering in Kentucky about, about why, as a Methodist, she felt it important to work for the rights of blacks in Mississippi. And uh, uh, later returned to Southern California and then transferred up to Chico State where she graduated. Um, But then she found a teaching job. She had a degree in music and she found a teaching job back in in Ridgecrest area. And so she was back there and still active in her church. And in those years, uh, her high school years and so 
when Jim's dad was pastoring in Southern California, Jim's dad and Jean's parents, or Jim's mom and dad and Jean's parents, had become really good friends. Um, through the United Methodist Connectional Church, they had gotten to know each other, and they were really good friends. And so when uh, Jim's dad was going to be doing a summer camp, he recruited Jean to be one of the camp counselors. And so it was at camp one summer, and they had a great relationship in, in having a wonderful camp. And, and uh, Jim's dad had, had invited his son to come one evening and give a concert for the campers. And then life really changed. And so uh, at that point, Jim and Jean met for the first time and hooked up and eventually got married in 1971 and uh, um, began a, a career together. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a lot of years now, uh, 71. Um, so they, be- they began a career together of um, leading music and um, touring and, and giving concerts. Um, for a while, they... They tried to have jobs in regular institutions, but decided that, that that really wasn't what they were called to, and they needed to be faithful to what they were called to. And so they took a more risky path, but a path that turned out to them to be a very fruitful and, and um, rewarding path of, of being on their own, producing their own uh, records and, and music, and being on tours and interacting with people. Um, They eventually um, were invited to be the music, provide the music in different settings, including settings with the World Council of Churches. And they were then invited to become the artist in residence with the World Council of Churches um, for a couple of years, not that long ago. Um, they had an opportunity through their work with the World Council of Churches to meet a woman who was the head of a Christian medical ministry in India. And, um, and that woman asked them, would you please come? Can you come and spend a week with us? I mean, a month with us in India. Can you come and spend a month with us in India? She said, because this, this part is really important. What you're doing is important. And let me talk a little bit about what was unique to her. In the hymnody that she, they had, you know, the resources that they had in their churches in India, the ones that she worked with, had a lot of hymns about um, personal piety and how wonderful Jesus is. And they had a lot of praise choruses, but they didn't have hymns that spoke to the social justice aspect, the, the Wesleyan roots that Jim and Jean value so much, that we value so much, of personal piety and social holiness that the two have to go hand in hand. It can't be just about me and my life, and I don't care about you, but it's me and my life, and how do I live out in the world the love of Jesus? How do I, how do I be an instrument for God to transform our world into this holy realm of God? Right? And, so, and so Jim and Jane's songs, if you listen to those words, you hear that. In, in almost every hymn that they sing, they have aspects in there calling us to live our lives out in ways that reflect our values, that call us to work to help those who are marginalized and, and to, to benefit our creation that God has entrusted to our care. And so, so when this woman heard their music, she said, will you come? We don't have any songs like this. Will you come and spend a month with us? And they said, wow, that is amazing. We would be so honored. And they went, not realizing what they were getting themselves into. So they went there expecting to go to this little medical clinic that had a little college associated with it. But in fact, it was a medical clinic that had a total staff of 7,000 people. 
right? I mean, when we think medical clinic, we're thinking, you know, no, it was like a network of medical clinics and this, um, this medical institution training facility that had 100 new students every year, 100 in their class, and they made sure that 50 were women and 50 were men every year and, um, and training up uh, people for the medical field to serve there in their clinics in India. And so they said they had a wonderful month there, but it was totally exhausting because they were working with seven or eight choirs every week. They were um, leading retreats. They asked them to lead retreats with the staff. They had them go on tour to the different clinics and, and do music out in the, in the rural, more rural areas. They had them work with the students and, and all the while um, helping to expand their idea of what, what is the point of music. Um, for Jim and Jean, the point of their music ministry is to be um, one of God's tools for transformation, that they believe music speaks to us in a different way than just talking, and that as we sing the words, we take them and inwardly process them in a different way, and it helps us and helps God to reach in and touch our hearts and helps change us and, and mold us into those faithful disciples that Jesus has called us to be. Um, I asked them, uh, I asked them, well, if there was a scripture text that, that would like define, if there was a scripture text that's like a favorite, what would that be? And Jean says, well, besides Micah 6, which was the one we just read, besides Micah 6, like, like that's a given one. What, for me personally, she says, for me personally, it is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we sang today as we came back from the passing of the peace, right? And we sang, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? Jim was kind of spacing out at the moment. And so um, after she finished talking a little bit, and then he said to me, what was the question again? I said, the question was, is there a particular scripture? And he sat back and thought about it for a minute. And he said, well, for me, it would be, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, that is truly how they have lived their lives, uh, particularly the love your neighbor as yourself. This is super important to them. And I want to share one story that they shared with me this year um, in, in a way that they, I said, you know, what do you want your music to do? We want it, we want it to invite people to love their neighbors. We want it to make it be transforming. And, and we want them to grow in their discipleship. And I said, well, you know, tell me a little about that. that. And, she, and Jean said, okay, well, let me share with you something for me this year. You all know that in this, in this calendar year, um, the um, rise of, of crimes against Muslims has increased and uh, certainly um, gaining much publicity. And there's been a lot of, um, of talk and, and oppression. And you guys remember that we signed a letter and a letter of support that we sent to our local um, uh, Islamic Cultural Center um, when they received threats to their community. Well, the community that Jim and Jean worship with in Sacramento, um, St. Mark's and I Methodist Church, they, they decided that they wanted to host an iftar. And an iftar is the big meal of celebration at the end of Ramadan. And, and Ramadan is the month of fasting. You fast during the daylight hours. And, and um, it's a very spiritual cleansing sort of month in the uh, Islamic tradition. And so at the end of that, they wanted to host a, a, an event and invite their Muslim neighbors to come and join in this celebration. And so uh, 
Jim and Jean knew that down the street from them, they had neighbors who were Muslim. And, um, and they wanted to invite them, but they were a little bit afraid because they didn't, they didn't know how it would be received. They weren't sure that they would be welcomed, um, they, whether the people would just, you know, be suspicious or, or what. And Jean says, and I'm an introvert. But she said, it was important. It's important that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so, so they went down the street and knocked on the door, and the people opened the door, and then they explained why they had come and invited them to join, come with them to the iftar. And they said that family was so excited, so excited and, and so thrilled to be invited. And, and they came and joined in. They said 250 people came to the, to the iftar meal and um, had a wonderful time together. And she said, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that our music will help inspire people to step outside of their comfort zones to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so today we lift up with celebration Jim and Jean Strathy with the ministry that they have with their music ministry and with the words that they have shared with us through the years and the way that it, their um, songs continue to inspire people all around the world and to uh, carry the message not only of personal piety but of social holiness in our great Wesleyan tradition. Will you join me in a prayer? Loving God, we ask that you would help us to be instruments of your transforming grace. We confess that our world is broken, and we confess that too often we are very comfortable living in that brokenness. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and shake us out of our complacency, that we would move outside of our comfort zones so that we could be more and more useful to you in building your holy realm in our world. Help us day by day to grow in our ability to love so deeply that we can't watch suffering without taking action to alleviate it. So that every day, truly, we are loving you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. In all this we pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.